welcome everybody to another episode of Lit. Joining me today is Angry Cactus, aka my husband Josh. Welcome. Hello, hello, everybody. Make sure you talk good into the mic so everybody can hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so excited to have you t- here today because we're going to talk about a book we both really like. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean. I came across the book when I was working at a job uh, over at my uh, book company. And uh, every once a week, they give out uh, busted up books that have scratches, tears, rips. And I came across this book and I knew nothing of it. I lived under a rock for a while, but I came across it and I said, well, Ready Player One. I was like, I don't know what that's about, but I'm sure it's about a video game. So I'm going to get it. And uh, normally books go for a dollar, but they said this one was pretty torn up. So I got this book for a quarter, which that'll kind of, that'll kind of yeah. play in later. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that you got it for a quarter because you're right. The, the symbolism there is really unique. Do we have that copy of the book here? Because I would love to... What happened with it? Oh, it's here on the bookshelf. Yeah, yeah, Guys, we have too many bookshelves in this room. So this is the book he got from that old... Uh, company what did you guys used to do there uh make we uh we basically made books ready for like public libraries colleges preschools you know high school libraries etc etc and uh if a book got damaged in the process they just kind of tossed it in a bin and gave it away for cheap so you could get like a forty dollar book for a dollar because they're just like it could be even just the tiniest little tear and they'd be like all right it's good to go get rid of it yeah, that's crazy. I mean, this book it looks like it's in really good condition. So this is Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. And like we always do on Lint, like to read the inside of the book and just get a feel for what we're dealing with. All right. So at once wildly original and stuffed with irresistible nostalgia, Ready Player One is a spectacular genre busting, ambitious and charming debut part quest novel, part love story and part visual space opera. So just like based on that short little snippet, how do you feel about the book? It's kind of wordy. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a little bit too flamboyant, mm-hmm. but it gets you kind of like, I don't know, intrigued, interested, kind of, I don't know, mystified about what you're about to crack open. But I like that. I like that. Mm-hmm. So, so the world we're dealing with in Ready Player One, just to start without spoilers... Um, this world is, of course, this is a YA book. So if we're dealing with a YA book, it's going to be set in a dystopian future. <laughs> it's like, here we are again, dystopian future. One of the claims straight out of the gate in the book is that climate change has destroyed the world. Yeah, it's uh, they say that there's a, a lot of uh, climate change, climate damage. They, they were talking about the bandwidth wars, which I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that sounds like something we'd go through in this day and age. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I feel like PJ and I have been fighting the bandwidth wars right now because it's so hard to get internet for all of our streams. Um, So uh, I feel that that'd be a real thing. Uh, Conspiracy Pilled says a quarter like an arcade machine. Do you use arcade token to buy that book? (laughs) No, I wish, but no, it was just a normal old quarter. That's normal so quarter. That's all it cost. <laughs> I like it. Okay, so yeah, basically the world is set in just absolute abject poverty. Uh, people are overcrowded. They're in these places called stacks. What are the stacks? Well, in order to uh, increase population 
minus the space is they just take tractor trailers, like just trailer homes and stack them up. Oh, that's very obvious. It's like if you took pizza boxes and just stack them, but did every corner turned which way mm. opposite. And they just go as high as possible. Uh, the problem was, is they were saying that, you know, the houses can damage or fall. So there was like hazards to doing it, but yeah. it was cheap. It was convenient. It took off when, as they say in the book, the guy that uh, Wade talked to, he said, you know, stack them SOBs. <laughs> <laughs> so it took yeah. off and they just started going that way. Jeez. Uh, it sounds like a, a really sad place to live in. I mean, everyone lives in abject poverty. You live in these homes that might collapse on you at any moment. But there is one small oasis. Not to put a point on it. It's called the oasis. What is the oasis? <laughs> well, the oasis is actually like the equivalence of what we have with like the Oculus, but mm. on a much higher grade. It takes in all your senses uh, well, not all your senses, but it takes in your sight, your touch, and your body. And in some cases, it can take in your smell and your, uh, I think, maybe, I don't think, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think that's it. So, but it's just a well, really, and sound, and right. sound, of course. But it, it's just a really, like, any anime that'll show that, like, it's been done over. It's just a really hands-on MMO, mm. like, essentially. <laughs> That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and I mean, ironically, it only costs a quarter to join the Oasis, this virtual reality. That's kind of nice. So it's it's very attainable to most people. Um, it, but it is one of the big money makers. Like if you think about the internet today, advertisers make crap tons of money just placing ads all over the place. I mean, when I get on Odyssey, sometimes I get lumped with a bunch of ads, but same thing happens in the Oasis, but the Oasis is supposed to be this like truly virtual reality. Like you can go in there and you can just forget about the real world. You can forget about life. Uh, you can go to any planet. You can go to any type of world of like, what did he describe uh, in the movie? Like you could rock climb with Batman and like surf with the Terminator. I don't know. Like you can do literally whatever you want. Mm. Um, and that's such a nice relief when, like, in the real world, you can't even get real food anymore. Like, I think in the book, when Wade is, our main character's name is Wade Watts, um, he was talking to one of his neighbors about, like, soy bacon and powdered eggs. Like, no wonder they want to spend all their time in the Oasis. Well, I think it even got to the point where they were doing, like, MREs. Like, oh, yeah. Because food was so scarce, but I mean... Uh, it's not a pretty picture, but like the creator of the Oasis holiday in the book, like he, it's a line that even I can agree with. He says that, you know, real life sucks. And yeah. that's why I made the Oasis because video games make it a little bit more tolerable. And that's kind of the, the takeaway and the joy. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, so the premise of the book is very interesting, right? You have this uh, teenage boy who goes into the Oasis and what we'll kind of get like why he's going into the, o the Oasis to begin with, like why everybody's going in there. But the whole book starts out with a lot of climate change propaganda, a lot of anti-religious propaganda. It's like, why would anyone in the conservative space want to read this book? Did you find that off-putting when you first started reading it? So the first time I read it, it kind of... I don't know. It came off as I was younger, but I wasn't that young. It came off like 
the thoughts of a typical teenager. Yeah. You know, you're rebellious. You don't really believe anything that's going in one ear and out the other. But they did have to. It felt like it went on for a while, but there was like this. I don't know, at least two, three pages in the book and maybe about eight to 15 minutes on the audiobook where they just kind of had to get this leftist propaganda. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but I mean, I get where they're trying to paint his character, but it's also like it felt forced a yeah. little bit just for a minute there. I, I, I can totally see that. Conspir- Conspiracy Pilled says... Soy bacon, I'd rather starve. I mean, but really, though, soy bacon sounds absolutely terrible. Um, But yeah, the propaganda kind of up front in the book when you're like trying to get into this fantasy world, trying to get into this dystopian world. I get that they want to set up why it's a dystopia. There are ways to do it without taking the climate change anti-religious attack. Mm -hmm. So that is one uh, choice that Ernest Klein made that I didn't really care for. But the rest of his book was very interesting. Um, so just to kind of give you like more in depth to Wade's character, I mean, his father was shot while he was looting a store. His mom worked online through uh, less than wholesome means to try and make money. Um, I mean, this young kid it really went through a lot. Yeah, I mean, his, his, his mom also overdosed and ended up passing away. So he ended up living with his aunt, uh, it's very Harry Potter syndrome, mm-hmm. I would say. Like, he was with a family that didn't really care for him, but they kind of kept him around because he had perks. They got extra food stamps uh. for keeping him around. So that's why they kept him. And uh, just an overall sad story. <laughs> it is an overall sad story. Um, yeah, and and tying that back to like the climate change propaganda and anti-religious propaganda. I mean, you can kind of see why he came to those conclusions because he didn't have any good role models, and I mean, that's really sad and really tough. Um, but you know who doesn't preach anti-religious sentiments? That's going to be our friends over at North Arrow Coffee. I know I'm getting that plug in super early today. Got to do it. Um, but yeah, North Arrow Coffee is super awesome delicious coffee five-star microwavable and is pro-life they donate 15 percent of all their proceeds to pro-life charities it's single origin and roast to order so make sure you guys treat yourself to some delicious coffee using code hawkhound to get 10 percent off your order and they don't preach at you they just do awesome things uh with the money that they get and it's legit good coffee i mean we drink it drink, every day i drink a cup a day <laughs> a cup a day cup a day it's delicious so make sure you go get some Sorry, I had to get that plug in. All right, so let's get more into the Oasis because the real world is too depressing. The Oasis is way more interesting. And so I couldn't remember what Oasis stood for. So when I was reading back in the book, it stands for ontologically anthropocentric, I'm saying it wrong, sensory immersive simulation. Um, What? (laughs) That's a lot of words. It's just easier just to call it the Oasis. I said, it is a mouthful. Yeah, it's way easier to say Oasis. Yeah. Get some of that coffee. That's right, conspiracy filled. Um, so ontological just means a branch of philosophy. So it's kind of interesting that this simulation thinks very philosophically about existence. Anthropogenic just means human. Um, that's a term we use when we talk about like the human impacts on the environment. 
Sensory is, of course, your senses. Immersive, I mean, you're being immersed into this virtual reality that is the oasis. Uh, and then simulation, just to kind of remind you that it is a simulation. Um, it, it's interesting how the book destru- describes the structure of the oasis, that it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube, uh, which goes back to all of the great 80s pop culture that is embedded throughout the book. Uh, it's like one of the world's biggest puzzles. And that's where we get to the whole point of going into the Oasis is the big puzzle. What is the big puzzle? What is the point of going into the Oasis? Well, kind of where the book starts off, it's where the creator of the Oasis, Halliday, passes away. And in the light of it, at that happens, he releases a video that tells him, Uh, the entire world that has it that he has left an easter egg in the game and whoever finds it can inherit everything which he said is just worth a lot of money it can turn someone's life around and it's basically first come first serve whoever gets it first is the winner so it takes off where people start to race for the race for the egg as they call it and that's why everybody kind of logs in every day looks for clues and it does go off kind of on a stalemate where people lose track, but it's always in the corner of people's mind why they log in right. partially every day. There are people who don't care about it, but there are people who do, and they're called the Gunter. And of course, with every big hunt, there has to be a villain, right? Uh, and so the villain in this story is Innovative Online Industries, aka IOI. And they're this uh, global tech conglomerate, uh, and they're the world's largest internet provider. So think if like a Windstream or something was going into this virtual reality and like trying to hunt for this key to unlock trillions of dollars and access to the world's most important video game. Um, That'd be kind of scary, especially since some of these internet companies are less than wholesome. Um, But they're, of course, because they're the villain, uh, they're run by less than wholesome means. The Sixers is the nickname given to the IOI employees whose job it is to hunt for Halliday's egg. And they're called the Sixers because their employee number starts with the number six. I was like, is there like some sort of demonic undertone there? It, It starts with the six and every employee ID has six digits. So mm. that's why they're called the Sixers. Mm. You got to be careful there. If they added one more six to that, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's talk about some of the themes. I think the biggest theme in this book is escaping reality. I mean, uh, Halliday expressed that himself, right? He created the Oasis because he didn't want to be in the real world anymore. Well, yeah, he says that the real world is sometimes too painful and Everyone needs a little bit of, you know, they need a moment to be themselves, do something they like that has no interruptions and Mm -hmm. give them kind of like a playroom that lets you be you. And uh, it's, you know, life is hard enough as it is. So there there are times we take time to do things that we like and that's what he wanted to do. Right. Uh, But we're only limited, you know, based off of location or money. But the Oasis allows anyone anywhere to go anywhere yeah. no matter if you're in a wheelchair or if you're just stuck you know you're eight years old stuck in a house and you want to go it allows you to just un- unlimited creative freedom as mm. he calls it i like that yeah it is unlimited creative freedom and it can be a little dangerous at times because you can really lose yourself i mean 
people would gamble their whole life savings on these like PvP battles or player versus player battles. I know I, I'm showing my lack of a nerd card right now. So how does living in the Oasis, this virtual world where anything is possible, affect a user's perception of the real world, do you think? Well, at least for me, for personal reasons, like I've done the VR and like it was very cool. But after being in it for about maybe two hours, three hours, you lose like everything feels off when yeah. you come out of it. But in the book, it's a uh, it's a way for them to escape. And the reason that I think in the book they complain about the world falling apart is that's what it's doing. They go into the oasis because they say the real world sucks. I know there's a lot of problems, but I don't want to mess with it. I'm just going to go play. And that's why the world is deteriorating. And they just kind of instead of cleaning up their messes, they just sweep them into big piles and leave them for everyone. So everybody they, work can be done to make it better, but everyone's just too lazy nobody the oasis while as amazing of an invention as it is it just made lazy people lazier and everyone lazy in general so so is the world falling apart because of the oasis or did people become late or is it like a a symptom not a problem right the world was already falling apart so they had to create the oasis to escape it or did the world only fall apart because people stopped taking care of it? I don't think they dived deep enough to really say mm -hmm. it. I think it was just more like, you know, kind of like when you're watching news, like, you know, this is bad stuff happening. In other news, you know, they kind of carried on. Like, I think it's just part of their everyday life. Like, things suck, you know. So, so we're going to So we're just, we're just going to escape it. And, you know, they even... You know, no, they never really alluded to it after the intro. They just said like, "Yeah, the world sucks," but you know, eh, leave it as it is. It's that's really sad because the the premise of the Oasis is so cool. Like the be the ability to do anything, just like the premise of the internet is really cool. We have all of human knowledge accessible to our fingertips, and but at the same time, people lose themselves in that, and it can be really sad. Um, just. Going back to the book itself, one critique I have of the book is that it's super heavy on exposition at the very beginning. Um, it's such a creative world, and I understand the need for exposition, but it gets kind of tedious early on. Um, and I'm like, come on, show, don't tell me. Like, I want, I want to get into the action. Uh, I don't know. What was your experience with that? Well, I mean, uh, in the beginning, there is a lot of talking and there's not a lot of doing right but i get that you know they're trying to build the world they get it all out of the way at the beginning That's true. then they don't really do it the rest of the story because they've already spent the first three chapters kind of painting a picture for you but like if they didn't include the re the pop culture references i would have been like okay this is kind of monotonous but you know, but they kind of sprinkled of it and it kind of kept you interested, like, ooh, like, I know what that is. Ooh, I know what that is. And when you're listening to the audiobook, you're hearing Will Wheaton do all this. The, the audiobook is so good. Will Wheaton does such a good job. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love the audiobook. So. All right. So the, the first key, right, because the goal is to find three keys to find the Easter egg uh, left by Holiday has basically this poem. Three hidden keys open three secret gates. 
wherein the errant will be tested for worthy traits. And those with the skills to survive these straits will reach the end where the prize awaits. Boy, he styles him as Dr. Seuss. <laughs> um, so, so how does Wade figure out? I mean, obviously he's going to figure out where the first key is. I mean, he's our main character. Like, so what's his thought path here? Well, I mean, no one had found the key or even a clue to the first key for the first five years. Uh, it was, you know, eluding him. But I remember, if I remember correctly, he, he said that it had to do something with Latin because mm. he was sitting in class and he, uh, I can't remember what the phrase was in particular, but it caught him off guard when he was sitting in class. And like, even me, like I must, it must be like up there for me with my brain power, but he was able to kind of put the clue with the Latin phrase and realize that it meant something to do with education. Mm. And the planet that does all the teaching in uh, the Oasis is called uh, Ludus. Ah, so, which is Latin for learning. Which is Latin for learning. And uh, once he put two and two together, he realized that the layout of Ludus matched that of a D&D map. Mm. So when he followed it, it... He was just taking a quick gamble, but it paid off in the end. He found the entrance and kind of kept going through it, uh, got to the very end and you get your first task, which at the end of the first uh, dungeon, so to speak, is your uh, you meet a lich, a undead, dead, undead king. Dead, undead. And uh, <laughs> you have to play the game Joust on Arcade, which... I had never really heard of it, but I, I had recently watched some stuff about it. Uh, and that was the thing was to beat the Lich at Joust to get the first key. Just for context, this is what Joust looks like. So this is like hardcore, like 80s retro gaming at its finest. It's like... So what is the goal of Joust? It looks like you're on these little birds. in the book, your objective is to knock out other players for jousting they drop an egg. And you pick up the egg to get points. You don't pick them up, they become enemies, and eventually the screen forms and moves. Joust is still Tracy Pilled's dad's favorite game. That is amazing. Yeah, so we're, we're going to have lots of clips of retro games tonight, but I just wanted to share that one because I also had never played Joust. Um, and so it was cool to get some context with it. <laughs> Rob says, that's when I played video games. I mean, fair. Oh, sorry. That video was really loud. My bad. Um, so yeah, after Joust, he does a flick sync of war games. What is a flick sync? Was that when he was like put in the movie? Uh, yeah, they, it wasn't actually a thing in the in the oasis yet uh it's where they basically put you in the part of a movie and you just have to quote the lines mm. it was after that he completed the first trial that uh ioi and ggs the ones who controlled all the the games in the game essentially said this would be a really good uh kind of profit for us to make a new thing so they called it flick sync but it was for the first time it didn't have a name but it became flick sync after the first gate was done that makes sense um so after that wade get 
He beats the lich, he gets the second riddle, and now he has the copper key. And he is the first one to appear on the scoreboard after years and years of no one appearing on the scoreboard. And someone else joins him on his search. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, his uh, cyber crush, as as he, he says it. But uh, her name is uh, Artemis, which... Mm-hmm. I, I liked the name the first time I read it, which is the the goddess of the hunt, which is what they're doing. They're hunters. Hunter, so I was I was kind of like, okay, I, I get the name. It's pretty cool. Um, but uh, the names of all the characters were, uh, you know, great with like their their kind of tone off. Like mm-hmm. Parsifal was the one who found the Holy, the Holy Grail. Grail, yeah. And then the one that caught me for a while was uh, H, mm-hmm. spelled A E C H, mm-hmm. which is the sound for the letter H, H right. which I was like... That, that was pretty cool. I couldn't figure it out. But to go back, the now he meets Artemis at the after he completes the first trial, and he's actually surprised to find that she's already known about this place for like a month, mm-hmm. but she couldn't beat the lynch at all. But since Wade beat it on his first try, you know, he didn't say anything at first. He kept his ID covered. He didn't let anyone know who he was, what his level was. And she just took it at, you know, face value until he told her his name, game name, Parsifal. And then probably about like 10, 15 minutes, the cat was out of the bag. Once the scoreboard came up and she looked at it, she was like, you're a liar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then his teenage hormones got the best of him. And he told her how to win. Teenage boys. I think that's about all we can talk about without spoilers because that's kind of what's given to us in the brief summary. Um, That's the first key. The rest of it is going to be really intense. I don't know. Any last thoughts before we roll our spoiler warning? I mean, not not particularly. I mean, from here on out, it's unless you haven't read the book, this would be a good stopping point to like go and read it for yourself. But uh, it's a lot to unpack in the first I think it's like first maybe like six, seven chapters. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this is a good point as any. (laughs) Yep. All right. So this is your final warning. If you haven't read the book, go read it or download the audiobook. Will Wheaton reads it to you. It's so good. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. And if you've already read it, stay tuned. All right, so Rob says that he saw the movie, and that's awesome, too, because we're going to talk about the movie in the Rumble-only section, because uh, only Rumble lets us deal with all of the fun stuff and isn't trying to steal from us, so we're going to do all the fun stuff over on Rumble later, Um, but we'll finish talking about the book here on YouTube. Uh, So another thing, uh, theme I want to mention is fame. So... Wade's Oasis BFF is H, like you mentioned, um, who is absolutely ecstatic that Wade found the copper key. Like, H's avatar is like this big hulking dude with like dark hair and dark eyes. Um, And they hang out in this secret world they call the basement uh, and can geek out about like all of the holiday related culture, right? 80s and 90s pop culture. But unfortunately, after Wade meets Artemis, we kind of lose touch with H. Why does that start to happen? Well, I mean, it's uh, any teenager, like, you know, it happened to me 
when I was in high school. I had friends, but once you find someone you like, you know, and you want to have a relationship with them, you kind of, in order to spend time with them, you kind of push off your other relationships yeah. to make time. If we could split ourselves into multiple copies, you know, I guarantee most of us would, but there's only so much of us to go around. But in the book, he kind of just leaves H high and dry, just says like, he's like, ah, you know, I found, found my cyber crush. I'm going to go hang with her, you know, well, you know, we can still hang out sometimes. I don't know. What happened to bros before hoes, man? Um, but yeah, anyway, so Wade goes off and to be a stupid teenager, but he t- does tell H how to solve for the copper key. So that's nice, at least. Uh, and then H spills it to his friend, Irock, uh, who's a total douchebag and just cannot keep his mouth shut and then ends up spreading everything to the whole freaking world. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot, Irock. Yeah, I said it. It's his character. Like, they don't really flesh him out, but, like, I just, I didn't really care for that. Plus, and I'm not even going to say much, but in the movie, I just didn't really. We'll get to the movie (laughs) during the Rumble section, but yeah. So, after Wade gets the copper key, he shares it with his friends, and then we get the top five on the scoreboard. There's Parzival, who is Wade, Artemis, H, and then two more follow-up, who are Daito and Shoto. And they become known as the High Five. And so with so many people vying for Wade or Parzival's attention, do you think this moment ever goes to his head? It does. Um, I, when I first read the book, this part was, you know, they were showing pop cultures left and right, and you were kind of distracted. But after, between when I reread it about a, a couple weeks ago or a week ago, between the first and the second gate, he does let this go to his head. He's just like, oh, you know, I'm getting endorsements. People know me. People want my autograph. I can kind of flaunt my name. And essentially, he loses track of what's important, which was the hunt to begin with. And he get, he beats himself up later, but it, it does go to his head. But it's kind of like when you haven't had fame and you get it. Right. If you're not, I don't know, using it appropriately, it'll make you kind of forget what's important. Yeah. I mean, we do have to remember Wade is a teenager and he makes some very teenagery decisions. This is where the YA aspect really comes out. Um, but the consequences for fame are absolutely real in this world, especially. Uh, and that brings us to Nolan Sorrento, the CEO of IOI. Remember, IOI is our villains and Sorrento just will not leave Wade alone. Um, Wade eventually accepts a message from him. And of course, Sorrento tries to earn Wade's cooperation through money, bribes, all kinds of offers of a gram- glamorous life. And Wade basically gives him the middle finger. <laughs> Pretty at, much. Pretty at what cost, though? Uh, well, so when he goes into the meeting, uh, he thinks that he's untouchable because, you know, n- no one knows who anybody is in the Oasis. You can hide your identity. You can hide your name. But Sorrento did some research and all it took was just a little bit of bribing because money makes the world go around, yep. apparently. And so Sorrento said, like, you know, I know your name. You know, you need to calm down, Wade. And he paused in his tracks, like, how do you know my name? And he's like, it just took a little bit of money and a little bit of pressure. He goes, so I would watch what you say because the threat got real. I said it. It's very, like, 
ridiculous when it, that people would get that serious for that much money. But I mean, well, is it ridiculous is. though? Because people have uh, gotten rid of people over less. I know it, it, it's. It just came off as like I get it as it's a bad guy thing. Yeah, he's the it, bad guy. It just came off as a little petty, but I get it. It is. I did. I get it. I mean, there's no good reason to uh, get rid of someone, yeah. especially not for money. So, as he said in the meeting, he said, "You know, you can either accept our meeting, accept our bargain, or if you disconnect or turn it down, you know, I've got your house rigged with explosives, and we have, with drones, have noticed that you haven't left the house in three days." And uh, what they don't know is that he's not actually in the house. He took a secret path out of the stacks and went to his hideout, which we never, I don't know if we brought up or not, which is just an abandoned van underneath a pile of smashed cars. And he rigged it up to work with his Oasis, got good signal, and it just runs off, I think, a couple of car batteries. but. That's where he goes to do his school. That's where he goes to get away. But that's where he's at when he has the meeting with Sorrento. Right. And it kind of goes south from there. Yeah. Uh, As Katie tells us, you know, fame does not come cheap. Just like, oh, wrong one. I got so many chats. I love it. Uh, Yeah. Just look at the 27 Club. Fame doesn't come cheap. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, It's really sad. Uh, Conspiracy Pilled likes our t-shirts. Thanks. We definitely didn't plan it. We totally planned it. (laughs) But it's fun. It's fun to be on theme. Um, So yeah, there's the threat of Sorrento blowing up the stacks. Wade thinks it's a bluff. It was definitely not a bluff. Um, And it's basically from that point... uh, Basically, the last of his family was killed yeah. in that explosion. So he's on his own. But because of his uh, endorsements, he does have a little bit of money uh, coming in. So with that being said, like he just packs up, goes on the run. But he knows kind of like how it is on the Internet. I don't know how to get there. But yeah. he goes into the black market and gets a new identity and basically changes who he is his age his education and just takes off for i can't remember exactly where he goes columbus ohio is is columbus ohio why always ohio ohio doesn't even exist Uh (laughs) it's better than oklahoma (laughs) does oklahoma exist <laughs> it's tornado central. Oh yeah, that's that. right. It's tornado central. Isn't that where Dorothy got taken off into Oz? I, I believe so. Probably. I don't know. Some I just remember there. when I was in Oklahoma, like one of the high school's mascots was literally a twister. Like, stop. Was it really? Yeah, I was. I was at a truck stop, uh, driving semi trucks, mm-hmm. and uh, I was reading the newspaper, and they were talking about a football team, and in Oklahoma, their mascot was <laughs> the Twister. Was, was, was a tornado. <laughs> I was like, okay. That is so on the nose. So. Conspiracy Pilt says, Ohio doesn't exist. I know I've been there. I mean, wait. <laughs> <laughs> How can you be to a place that doesn't exist? That's a question for later. Um, but yeah, so basically Sorrento levels the stacks, kills Wade's only remaining family. And so Wade just runs off. And then the Sixers get a hold of the copper key because freaking Iraq cannot shut up. Iraq gave it away. Iraq gave it away. What a jerk. Um, and so that brings me to the theme of friendship. So after 
Wade stops talking to H as much, starts hanging out with Artemis. A um, little bit of flirtiness going on there. Uh, I've, I kind of found Artemis an annoying character. She came across as kind of better than me, sort of. She's like, I'm going to use the egg money to end climate change. Again, these are teenagers. We have to remember they're coming from a teenage perspective, but it was like kind of pretentious. I don't know. I mean, she, it's, Wade had his moments too, where, oh yeah, like, I'm not trying to point fingers, but like, if you're hanging out, you know, everyone knows that one person that they're not really good at a lot of things, but <laughs> what they are good at, they're really good at, they like to boast about it. They like to correct you. They like to tell you, well, actually, actually. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you grin and bear it, but you know, let them have their moment right. kind of sense, you know, the they don't have much to go off of, you know, I, let them have their moment. But that's how a lot, how Wade comes off a lot in the book. And early on, it, early say. on, yeah. uh, he gets better. Uh, the only one I never really got that feeling from was like H or uh, Daito or Shoto. Yeah. You didn't really get that because they were more, to me, those three were more humble yeah. than, than the uh, Artemis and Parzival were. But um, I, I think that's a good point. So, but it, everyone does it. Everyone has flaws. There are character flaws and our young characters who are still growing. And I mean, when Artemis isn't being a self-entitled brat, she's really funny and witty. Uh, she's very knowledgeable about 80s pop culture. So, I mean, there are good parts to every character. There are just some annoying parts as well. Uh, and Wade's story of friendship isn't the only story of friendship in the book. I mean, there is the underlining story that we're learning at the same time, which is between uh, James Halliday, the creator of the Oasis, Ogden Morrow, his best friend, and Kira. Who are these people? Well, we all know Halliday. Halliday is the one who created the Oasis. Mm-hmm. Ogden Morrow was kind of like his accomplice. They they made it together. Accomplice in crime. And then, and then Kira was the woman that they both fell in love with mm-hmm. kind of rivals and romance for her. Uh, but Halliday being the, the smart, socially awkward, you know, doesn't know how to talk to girls, you know, managed to ask her out on a date and it kind of never took off from there. Cause you know, he's awkward and, you know, and he didn't know how to take it any further. So his best friend, uh, Ogden, decided to kind of leap on that and asked her out and in the as much as it stings they ended up getting married yeah and when that happened uh holiday was didn't say it but he said that this kind of broke the friendship because he was like you took away the girl the only girl i ever loved and ogden was like she's the only girl you've ever talked to (laughs) but (laughs) you can't know that you loved her you haven't talked to anyone else so, but it's it, it's kind of sad. They, yeah. they don't they don't really broad over it too much in the book, but the snippets that you do get because it's not the main focus of the story. Right. Uh, it is sad, but I mean, it, it's it's nice to know that little bit of backstory and to know because yeah. Ogden is still alive. So right. uh, I said it's he comes into play later, but it, it's nice to know his kind of backstory and what motivates him to do what he does. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, it does come up later uh, when Wade and Artemis end up going to Ogden Morrow's 73rd birthday party uh, at this 
zero gravity nightclub called the Distracted Globe. So this is when we get a lot of that 80s, 90s pop culture reference. Like, he, what vehicle does he drive there? It's like this Frankenstein monster between the DeLorean and the Ghostbusters vehicle and Kit from Knight Rider. Like... So, it's a lot. So he shows up in a, uh, a modified DeLorean from the Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And it's because uh, Ernest Klein was a huge fan of the Back to the Future. He even has his own DeLorean that he modified to look like what? Marty McFly's uh, DeLorean. So Ernest Klein is an absolute nerd is what we're getting at. He is an absolute nerd. Uh, it, Love it. And the, he also did, I can't remember what it was. He did a contest because man had money right that if whoever won this contest he was going to give them a modified delorean and one co- one contestant won and Dang. was a and it was on a uh, i can't remember what tv show it was it's been a good minute but yeah he loves his delorean uh <laughs> shows up and i mean uh one shout out like i i know not a lot of music but when you walk in he distinctly says that they decided to play a remix of joy division's mm-hmm. blue monday which is one of their better songs but it was nice that he like specifically pointed that song out like you know yeah they were playing a remix you know Aug decided to play a remix of uh, you know Blue uh, Joy Division's uh, Blue Monday and I was like oh okay cool. actually good music how about that cool deal but uh, it was like a lot going on in just that mm-hmm. one little area but yeah. that's kind of like I think the turning point oh, yeah. of the story that's where everything kind of that's when, you know, yeah. shit hits the fan. Yes, very yeah. much so. Very much so. Because Wade can't get it together. He's such a teenage boy and ends up confessing his love to Artemis, who he doesn't even know. He's never met in real life. She could be some dude in his mom's basement named Chuck. like <laughs> Which was one of his fears. Which was one of his actual fears. But... Uh, he yeah he gave his real name away and even uh, and even Artemis was like pissed at him. She like, said, "You can't do that." She said, "You can't just spring that on me." You know, there's a reason that you know this is right. this is not real. I don't look like this. This isn't who I really am visually. You know, you can't just throw that around. Your identity right. is your identity for a reason. But he said, you know, as Wade said, he's like, I don't care. I'm in love and, you know, nothing's going to stop me in my pursuit. But it was at that point that Artemis, which as a teenage guy, it would have hurt. But as a not teenage guy, but I'm still (laughs) who was married uh, when she decided to cut him off completely. Like it was kind of a much needed remedy for him because he realized it was a slap in the face, but it made him come back to reality like what have I been doing for like the past months? I don't even know how long they said it took place, but like the whole time between the first gate and the second gate just felt like this one big teenage drama of Dawson's Creek. I was like, okay, can we get to the point? Right. But it, it's, it's got its ups and downs, but it was after the, this after the, uh, the distracted globe that like things to me took off. Like right. they, they got another leg up. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you're right. Well, and while they're at the distracted globe, there's like this whole ambush. A bunch of Sixers crash the party and start fighting. And like, it looks like it's going to be a bad scene. But then. And so 
Artemis basically pulls an Irish goodbye without ever saying anything and just kind of ducks out. It's like, peace out. I'm out of here. Um, so when Wade loses both Artemis because he can't keep his mouth shut, uh, instead tries to hang out with Daito and Shoto, um, who are the two young Japanese boys who are also on the high five scoreboard. Um, and so they do some Japanese based quests together. In one quest, they are in a really cool capsule. Uh, yeah, well, it was a. If I remember correctly, they said it was a quest that took thirty. I think it was like thirty-six levels. So it was like an ongoing quest. But at the end, they got a beta capsule, mm-hmm. which allows them to turn into Ultraman, which right. is a very big show in Japan uh, back in the seventies and I think eighties. I didn't watch it personally, but right. I know what it is and I know what it looks like. But it wasn't really my cup of tea. But it was a very powerful uh legendary item that kind of has like a kind of a bigger role in the mm-hmm. story uh, than just kind of like oh they did this quest they moved on right but uh it's a it's a really cool item that kind of bonds uh daito shoto and uh wade together it allows them to kind of set their differences aside and say like you know even though we're hunting you know we're still just people who love what we love you know we can put the you know make this work and be good friends over it i just want to say real quick we got our first rumble rant from abby with a little heart oh thank you abby thank you for watching guys please be sure to go follow us and watch on rumble let's stop giving our money to youtube and let's start supporting the platforms that actually support creators who don't hate your value so rumble is the place to be i hope you guys go follow us over there um but yeah you're right uh and so that gets us into the jade key so wade's been putting it off and putting it off um so the quatrain that they get after doing the copper key is the captain conceals the jade key in a dwelling long neglected but you can only blow the whistle once the trophies are collected like what does that even mean well it it like he didn't even know what it was as said what ended up happening was uh, artemis was the first one to find it mm. and then right behind artemis i believe it was uh, h who found it next and it was because when wade helped h get the copper key h was still kind of pissed at way at wade but said like you said that i owed you one so here's the location of the jade key you know we're square now now you know beat it but even like i didn't grow up in that time but like the fact that like (laughs) the dwelling not long neglected was based off of a computer text game called zork zork and i was like i don't know what this is so i looked it up and i was like i was like i don't know what the heck this game is and it was it, it reminded me a lot of uh uh, what was uh, it wasn't exactly, but it reminded me of like the movie Big because in the movie mm. Big he plays a a text uh, text adventure game. Here is Zork, by the way. It just looks like from far away. It just looks like computer code, but, right? Uh, it does look like not... computer code. The troll room. But um, it was the first. Uh, he figured it out that in the in the game you have to find nineteen trophies. Mm. So you find them. Then I knew about the. Uh, the whistle, the the captain's whistle. I Who think. is the captain? 
Captain Crunch. Oh, of course. Why didn't I think of that? Because <laughs> uh, in the, the whistle that was a prize that you got back in the older days, mm. and there was, and they said in the book that the, if you held the third notch on the whistle and blew into it, you could get like free phone calls out of pay phones with it because it gave a certain sound. That's wild. And I actually knew about that. So I thought that was kind of cool. That is kind of cool. And then uh, once you did it, the I believe the next clue was it was a uh, unicorn origami piece, mm. which like if any of those who've watched it, you know exactly what that goes right into goes right into Blade Runner. Yep. And so I was kind of like, oh, okay, they're going this way. And then um, from there, he went to the Blade Runner. Like, So the, did he do another flip sync of Blade Runner? Is that what it was? He was no, he went in the, uh, the Oasis. <coughs> in order to make cities look fuller, they actually used the main building from Blade Runner as mm. like a filler. like Kind of like when you're just filling uh cities in and like the sims it mm -hmm. was just a copy and paste building wow. so you could go to anyone you wanted he went in there accessed the computer like he did in the movie and it actually took him into an arcade game black tiger which black tiger was uh i wasn't really i had never heard of it either i said it but uh the reason that this was included was that this game was actually one of Ernest Cline's favorite arcade games growing up. He liked this game so much. And the trial for this one was that he had to play Black Tiger from a first-person point of view instead of a side-scrolling like this. Yeah, that's that would be crazy. I'm trying to make sure the volume's not super loud. If it's super loud, let me know. Um, but yeah, this is Black Tiger. This game actually looks super cool. It, it it's it's a lot to take in, but like I I could you know spend a couple hours playing this, but it was something that uh, was very cool. That the first trial was one of in the book, uh, War Games was one of his favorite movies, Halliday's that is, mm -hmm. and then Black Tiger was one of Halliday's favorite games. Okay. So it's like favorite movie, favorite game. You know what's next afterwards? That makes sense. Uh, and the cool thing is, is while he's trying to figure all these things out, there's another game that he plays to find an Easter egg. Uh, if it's the... Or uh, I guess it's not an Easter egg. It's like, it's a special item. It, it's it's a special item. So I, I was so glad that they actually took the time to like talk about this. Uh, so he goes to what is a remake of Halliday's favorite pizza joint when he was a kid. And in the back was a, well, it wasn't Pizza Hut, well, but. that would be my favorite pizza place as a kid. So there was a uh, Pac-Man game, arcade okay. machine. And, you uh, guys know what Pac-Man looks like. <laughs> so he realized that uh, there was a quarter sitting on top, which we didn't do it too much when I went to arcades, but you would always place a quarter on the uh, screen or just on the tab above the ca cabinet to basically set your place. Mm. So there was a quarter on the machine. He couldn't remove it. And uh, he realized that he had to play a perfect game of Pac-Man, which I... How do you even do that? It just... It's memorization and just reflexes. But, I guess so. But they, they... I love that this chapter, they, like, took the time to, like, show him what we all do when we enjoy something like that. He got lost in the game. Mm. He didn't care about the hunt for a minute there. He just wanted to just play the game, just wanted to enjoy it. And 
when you're so close to achieving something like nothing else matters but that moment right and then he does it he he gets the the high score beats Halliday's score of pac-man and as a prize he gets the quarter that's sitting on top of the cabinet it finally unfreezes and he gets to put it in his inventory i like how you bought the book for a quarter and he gets a quarter in the book yeah i mean that's <laughs> wild I mean, he has, it is wild, and I, I love the symbolism as it comes in later, but, like, he has no idea what this quarter does. Right. It's just a it's quarter. It's just a quarter. So what can that possibly what? do? We're <laughs> so. not foreshadowing absolutely anything. Why would we do that? Okay. Um, but, so, yeah, he finally is able to go through all those quests, like we talked about, to get the Jade Key. Um, and that brings us to the third key. Mm-hmm. So the third key is the crystal key. What is the, how do we get to the crystal key? What is the first thing that they have to do? Well, you'll have to re have to, I can't remember exactly, but I remember that in the beginning, it, it has to do something with Rush, right? It, or Rush uh, 2112 album. The, well, that the 2112 album. So like the first trial was like, his favorite movie the second mm-hmm. trial was his favorite game and then to the intro of this one was like one of his favorite bands so when he found he did some digging found out that the i think it was ioi had already found the right. crystal key so did it and they were the only ones that had found it so far and they were being tight-lipped they didn't mm-hmm. tell anybody how to do it well he kind of stumbled across it found out where it was what he needed to do except he did it differently. Uh, it was very cool. He went to uh, the planet based off of the album, mm-hmm. and there he finds a guitar, which in the Rush album, like creativity and uh, individualism are like banned, and they're like illegal. So when he finds a rock guitar uh, out, and, out and about, uh, he strums it, and essentially all you need to get the key is the guitar. Right. But he does it getting kind of caught up in the moment thinking well you know i can't do this in real life but i can do this here he decides to play the main rift of the album i love that and uh it actually gives him a little bit of a boost uh he gets a he goes up to an altar like Mm -hmm. it's said in the in the album and puts it on there and the guitar actually turns into the crystal key that's really cool but he also gets a clue Ah, which the final riddle which ioi didn't do they -hmm. just got the key and moved on so they knew where the gate was located somehow i don't know how they They just don't explain it they don't explain it they just say oh we know where the final gate is but they didn't know what to do after that because they didn't get that clue so they were kind of like we're stumped wade was like i know what it is but you know i'm gonna let you know others catch up to me right so the final riddle is the first was ringed in red metal, the second in green stone, the third is clearest crystal, and cannot be unlocked alone. Boy, that's a little on the nose. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he gets the crystal key, and it has the symbol A on it. What does A mean to us? I mean, if it's yeah. Anorak. Yeah, it's Anorak. It, it's Anor- Anorak is the handle for Halliday's character in the oasis so that means that the final gate is in halliday's castle or interact's castle Mm. um so like you were saying the sixers had already figured this out um and so basically wade's goal at this point is to infiltrate them and stop them 
and it's not just him because like the riddle says he, he can't do it alone so he gets back with artemis and h and shoto um and something kind of happens in between all of this well i think it's actually before uh before it's i can't i'm trying to remember if it was before or after he got the crystal key uh the Sixers decided to put up an impenetrable for- mm-hmm. force field around the final gate. There was no way to get into it. Right. So he kind of just like wrote off his like, you know, if I don't make it, you know, just know that, you know, I was here. But, right. but well, what happened to Dido before all of this? So, yeah, it was kind of like uh, Wade realized just how cynical like cynical these people were and how yeah. over Sixers the top don't play games. they ended up killing uh daito's character not just in the game in real life in real life and uh when you die when you die yeah. uh you lose everything including the keys right so they were they tried to do it to wade but they were l- trying to find h and artemis but they found daito right. and then shoto uh which was just not his actual little brother, but they did the little big brother, big little, brother, brother little brother, which thing. die and show means big little. Yeah. So uh, he uh, in turn, you know, gives Wade the beta capsule saying like, you know, Daito would have wanted you to have this, you know, you know, use it well. And he learned and realized that like, you know, IOI can't get away with this. So he ends up going for like, it's, it's a it's risky it's a risky gamble as well mm-hmm. he decides to fake his credit score and get arrested by ioi right and go into the system itself to see if he can fix the problem well and it's not just to fix the problem it's to get dirt on ioi so he hacks into their systems and finds out that ioi has been watching them for a long time and gets video confirmation of an ioi agent throwing daito off a balcony um, that's pr- some pretty damning evidence. Uh, I just kind of want to point out here, uh, notice it's the not the government watching everyday citizens. It's this large tech corporation. Uh, does that remind you or anyone of an entity in real life that might be doing that? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't say on the internet. Oh, I think everyone knows think exactly knows. what it is. I think everyone knows. <laughs> You know what it is. When you talk about it, somehow it appears on your feed, man. We were talking about the pressure washing simulator you're playing right now. Yeah, I was talking about like, oh yeah, pressure washing simulator. I like that. Maybe I should get one, but I don't know. Maybe it's too much. And then I get an email from Home Depot asking if I want a pressure washer. Like the very next day. The very next day. (laughs) So it was kind of a little sus but i you know uh major sus it's it's just how it is right now yeah so so wade ends up getting all of this dirt on them uh and then he gets with his crew uh and actually gets pulled into ogden's mansion this is like a very deus ex machina sort of scenario where one of the creators of oasis is like hey guys i'm gonna help you out because ioi sucks so come to my crib <laughs> Well, before that, like he gets the dirt and he actually realizes that the only way to beat something that's impenetrable is you have to beat it from the inside. Right. So he uses uh, the black market to get backdoor access mm-hmm. to the IOI te- terminal. And that's where he sets his plan into motion to get a robot in the game 
through a command that he made that was fake to pick up a bomb to get close to where the mm. shield's main power is, but it can only the command can only be given inside the right. IOI. But once he does that, you know, he's like, well, all we have to do is wait. Yeah. I'm going to take off. I'm going to go hide out. And then that's when Ogden decides to show right. up and help everybody. And uh, Ogden's like, I've kind of been here the whole time, but I'm allowed to be invisible because, <laughs> right. you know, I'm one of the creators. You creators know. can do whatever they want. It's not fair. Um, but yeah, so Wade finally gets to meet everyone in real life, which brings up a question about appearances. So people put a lot of time and effort into their appearances, especially in the Oasis. I mean, you could be anything you want, right? So uh, why wouldn't you be? And one of the things that comes up is Artemis is basically trying to hide this birthmark she has. Mm -hmm. Why is that such a big deal? I mean, it's just... Some people care very much about their physical appearance. Beauty is very important or what they think people, people's interpretation of beauty is. Um, but I mean, that one didn't really shock me. <laughs> yeah, it, a different one is way more shocking. Uh, the one who really shocked me was H. Like, yeah, I was expecting when H says, uh, it's going to be kind of a shock. It's not what you're expecting. I was like are you crippled? I was like, are you bedridden? <laughs> like, are you playing this in a coma? Like what, what are, what are we going off you here? Have one eye. Are you the guy in the parents' basement named Chuck? And then, uh, when the moment finally arrives, it's this, uh, <laughs> this black goth chick who's a lesbian <laughs> and she total 180 from her online character. Who is a he? And Wade's like kind of taken aback because they've had conversations, like personal, intimate conversations about stuff that guys would talk about. And he was like, you weren't really what I was expecting. And she was like, what does that mean? He was like, well, I didn't think you would be a, and she was like, a fat black goth chick. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, yeah, but I didn't want to say it like that. And so it was... The fact that she took it in stride. Yeah, and she, she's a really cool character. I think she's my favorite character in the whole book. Mm -hmm. So it, it it was a it was a shock, but like it's kind of like what really matters in those kind of moments is like you know friendship is right. more important. You know, I, when you have a friend, you know sometimes you get jealous or envious of them, or sometimes you don't tell the whole truth if you don't trust them, but. There are those friends that, you know, there are no boundaries. That's right. I mean, I've had a friend for 20 years, and he's a character, but okay. he is my friend, and I, I let those slide. That's right. Well, and that brings up an interesting question, because uh, both of these main characters hid pretty important aspects about themselves. Um, was that dishonest of them? I mean, can you really have real friends over the internet? Well, I mean, it's kind of uh, online. I mean... You don't really meet someone based off what you look like. The first thing that kind of connects people is hobbies, interests, likes, dislikes, you know, favorite movies, favorite games. You just you talk. And as you get to know the other side, you know, you start to open more and more. And there are those who are a very much an open book right from the get go. And uh, it's just the more you share, the more you feel comfortable with. And that's why... Wade was a little bit 
I guess scarred by this a little bit because you're talking about like guy stuff with a girl that's, that's telling you different. that's yeah. telling you oh yeah I'm a guy too even though without saying it but he, he quickly got over it because he was just like you know hey H you know it's yeah. nice to finally meet you Still a H, right? so. well and I think that's a good point I mean some of my best friends in the whole world I've met over the internet so I mean well, I mean, yeah, it's you still got to be careful because it's the internet, and it might be some guy in his parents' basement named Chuck. You just don't know. Well, we also find out that the name H. She finally says, like, "Yeah, my name is with an H. It's Helen." Uh, so he was like, "That's the whole kind of like." They kind of allude to it, like he keeps calling H by different H names, but that all H said was. It starts with the letter H. That's all I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to say more, but you find out later that it's Helen. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. kind of a, a nice little like a, a quick slap in the face, but you kind of quickly get over right. it kind of sense. Yeah, I like that a lot. So let's wrap up talking about the third mm. key. We, so we can talk about the movie. Yeah. Um, so once they break into Anorak's castle, shit goes down. Well, yeah, uh, the final like all-out war between the Gunters and IOI, uh, Wade's plan goes through, the, the shield goes down, so there's an all-out battle. You get to see all these mechs from all these games show up, and uh, you get to the third gate, finally. Uh, and at the third gate, there's the uh, School Rock uh, logo on the top. That's I think it was Faith, Charity, and Hope. Yep. And it's the saying it even rang with me i was like oh my gosh i know what this is three is a magical number mm. so he realized that the final clue to that uh hint was cannot be unlocked alone you need three crystal keys to unlock this gate ah. so in that uh, retrospect they uh it was parzival artemis and h that get to the gate unlock it and the first trial that shows up is Tempest, which was Tempest. which I actually have played uh, at some retro arcades, and it's a, it's a very very like immersive game, very simple to play. I feel like I get a seizure playing this game. It, it's a little, it, it can be a little nausea inducing if, <laughs> if you stand too close, but yeah. it, it was very cool for its time. I was very like, oh wow. This is a very cool game. I like this. I like that they included it. Um, which then that led to the second part of the trial, which my favorite trial, which was another flick sync of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So you now have to show this Monty Python and the Holy Grail because so, I can't. So he had to play the whole. He had to play King Arthur or whoever had the most lines at that one point. But I love for the. For at least the book, they did the whole very beginning part of the coconuts scene yes. where they had to talk about the coconuts <laughs> and uh, everyone just had a good time, you know, watching him do this. And I was like, OK, so it was like it was like nice to kind of see that because I was painting the picture in my head as they were talking about it. Right. So I was kind of like, OK, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, guys, if you haven't watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I don't even know what you're doing with your life. You need to go watch that. Okay. And then if I'm trying to remember correctly, I think the next trial, because it was a three-part trial, of course. Well, something happened. Didn't 
something happen? Oh yeah, I f- I forgot even before he even could get in the gate, right. um, the IOI decides to go the extreme route yeah. and they wanted to do genocide. They just used an item called the catalyst, which destroys everything in the on the planet that you're on. It destroys everything, every player, everyone that all portals, everything gets destroyed. So, and even in the book, he says, you know, there was one moment where we entered the keys and twisted them. And then in that moment, right after that, everyone died. And, and I was like, Oh, okay. That's extreme game over. So you're like, you immediately want to read the next chapter. Like, Whoa, what's going on real quick. And I remember this was like, probably like the very coolest nod, which I was like, you know, I was like, that's beautiful. I love that. (laughs) Uh, Wade realizes that he's the only one who didn't die in the explosion. He did die, but in his inventory, the quarter shows up <laughs> and says, says, congratulations, you've earned an extra life. And I thought, that's cool. I thought that was so cool coming from the Pac-Man game. And just ironically that I got the book for a quarter oh, that I was I like, I love that. how like, 25 cents is all you need to like it's all you need to get uh, into the oasis that's all you need so that was a very nice nod i, I was like I, I completely skipped over that but that was like was so good that was like pure ecstasy right there <laughs> when i read that. so so you don't think it's like a deus ex machina moment you don't think it's a cheap play you think it was well planned it was because yeah. you kind of forgot about the quarter for a while because he was like, I just threw it in my inventory, couldn't work with it. So whatever, it's a quarter. Right. And I like it completely came out of left field the first time you uh, read it. You were like, I have no idea what it is, but it kept me on the edge of my seat. So I thought that was a real, a real nice uh, kind of nod. Like so yeah. I didn't dislike it at all. <laughs> I liked it too. Um, so yeah, he does get to play Tempest. Uh, he does the Monty Python flick sync. And then at the very end, he ends up in this room. That's like a holiday's childhood room and gets on his computer, but he has to log in using a password. I mean, how's he supposed to know what password to use? Well, actually that's the last part. The room that he enters in, is a room that has every arcade machine mm-hmm. ever created in the shape oh, of an, yeah, yeah, in the right. shape of an egg. This is why we both needed to do it because we kept forgetting yeah. parts. <laughs> so in there, he's realizing like he needed to log in to find out the passcode mm-hmm. to basically turn everything, all the consoles on. None of right. the consoles would turn on, and uh, I can't remember exactly what the name was, but he tried every name that he could think of on. Halliday's computer and nothing worked and then he realized the one thing that kind of set this whole thing into motion was he used uh, Kira's D&D character's Lucosia. name Lucosia so when he entered that name in all the consoles booted up That's at crazy. once and he knew exactly where right. what needed to go which anyone who's kind of watched they use this a lot but it was a very nice nod he went to the atari 2600 and he grabbed adventure which was one of the first games to include an easter egg and the developer who did it uh, atari was like you know we can't give you know rec you know uh 
acknowledges to people who made this, but the developer wasn't going to take that. So he took the code, put it in the game and sent it out without Atari knowing. And so when people found it, it was the first Easter egg. So that was the final takeaway. And then when he reaches into the TV, which opens up kind of portal-ish, he pulls out an egg. And then that's when he gets transported to Halliday's room of like when he was a little kid. And it's from there that Halliday's like, well, you win, you know, that that's all that it took. And, you know, I'm really happy that, you know, thank you for playing my game. You know, it's been a lot, you know, but, you know, I'm not going to let you leave empty handed. You know, I'm going to basically give you my avatar, which is all powerful. Max stats can basically kill any enemy with the snap of a finger and you get all this money, you know, it do with it with what you will. And uh, from there, he kind of tells them like the kind of like Peter Parker's, you know, Ben Parker, you know, with great power comes responsibility kind of spiel where he's like, you know, try to use my powers for good. But he's like, you know, I can't wait to see, you know, well, not him, but he's like, I hope you do well with it in the future. And then things kind of just very quickly. Yeah go like abruptly almost to an end (laughs) it's a quick wrap-up so i mean uh you know sorrento gets his just desserts he gets arrested for murdering a kid basically uh which is nice to see and you know he gets the girl all that fun stuff and he realizes that being with his friends was more important than being in the oasis which brings me to a question uh halliday was so in love with kira Right. And it's like we see this trope a lot of times in 80s movies. Like I think of Pretty in Pink, uh, how Ducky was in love with Andy, but didn't get the girl in the end. Why do we see that trope so often in 80s movies and in books and things like that? I mean, it it could just it could just be a fad, but it's kind of like the the underdog, the, the someone that you're not rooting for kind of. Ends but you up. are rooting for him. Well, like in. Pretty in pink. I wasn't really voting for them to get together. You didn't want Ducky and Andy to get together. You're a monster. <laughs> I mean, I, he was he was quirky, but I just felt like that was a cop out. Like, but I didn't like the guy she was interested. No, in talk, the talk guy about. she was interested but in was terrible. I don't know. It's just to give people like hope, but I also mm-hmm. felt like to help those, I guess, that are friend zoned. Uh, like, like you can move. Yeah. You may or may not be able to move on. So yeah, that's it, a good point. Yeah, so now is the time when we're going to go over and nerd out about the movie and kind of bag on it a little bit. It was still a good movie, but, you know, we'll talk about it. Um, Please don't forget to like and subscribe to Lit. I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's episode. I do want to remind everyone who is on YouTube that next week I will be joined by Tyler Hummel and we're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. So that's going to be super awesome. Also, don't forget to check out our Hawkhound shop. Um, We have so much cool new merch going on. Um, I mean, we've got hoodies and mugs. So if you want like a lit mug, um, go over to um, hawkhoundmedia.myshopify.com. So definitely go check out those things. And be sure to come join us over on Rumble because that's where we're headed to now. Any last thoughts? Thanks for joining me tonight. It's been fun. I was like, I like talking about video games and it was just a joy in general to be here. Of course, you know, you're my wife. So. <laughs> that works out. Yeah. So, but yeah, let's, uh, let's mosey over. All right. See you guys over on Rumble. Ooh.